It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM, our opportunity to sit down each week with the award-winning journalists covering the East End for a conversation about what's going on in the news. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27East.com, and Express Magazine. Bill Sutton is my managing editor and my co-host, Bill. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Good to have you here in a great panel this week. We have Christine Sampson, who is the deputy managing editor of the East Hampton Star. Hey, Chrissy. Good morning. Good to have you. Beth Young, the editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth. Good morning. And Denise Civiletti, the editor of Riverhead Local at the center of the universe at the moment. How you doing, Denise? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure I would call it that, but so it's, it's so the top 50 places of, <laughs> to visit or something. So. <laughs> you, you've had a busy week. So let's start with the big news, which I think is fairly big news for the entire region. Uh, and that involves the UpCal project, which now enters a whole new phase of conversation, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, it, well, I mean, I guess begin, so begin with Monday. Um, so uh, last, actually let's begin with last Friday night, the Riverhead IDA um, posted to their website a notice of uh, a, uh, their, their meeting agenda, and on that agenda was a resolution regarding the application of Calverton Aviation and Technology, which is like the triple five company, um, and they were going to pass a resolution. And the resolution, um, I think you you saw it, was um, written in a very, very strange way in that it was like a, a menu of options. <laughs> Choose um, your own adventure. <laughs> yeah. Right? It was like... <laughs> I'm like, what the heck is this? So it was yeah. like all these different choices that they were going to like, strike Mad, out. Mad libs. It was sort of like fill in your verbs. So I didn't see this until Saturday morning. And I'm grateful for that because I think it would have kept me up all night. But, um, it, you know, it got posted to their website at like eight o'clock at night. And um, so... It, yeah, there was all these options, and then there was this like little couple of like lines that needed to be filled in, and that would be what their findings were. <laughs> so I'm like, well, uh, that can't be enough space, and that was true. They had like, you know, three pages of findings, um, and they really, um, in in the end, they what they did was they denied their application altogether. And um, in this, was findings, the, the, this was the IDA. It's the Riverhead that, Industrial Development. Yes, thank you, Joe. Sorry. So they they, they had applied for um, financial assistance from the Riverhead Industrial Development Agency, which would take the form of property tax breaks in the tens of millions of dollars over time, and um, sales tax breaks, et cetera. They had for phase. This was for phase one, which was um, a million square feet of development along the eastern runway. Um, and that, you know, overall 10 million square feet, but this was for phase one and, um, they, uh, 600,000 square feet of that first million was, uh, to be these logistics, uh, warehouses. And, uh, you know, we've all seen now, I mean, a lot of people now have seen, um, their drawings of, uh, you know, these logistics facilities and, the improvements to the runways, which will provide access to one side of those buildings by jet planes. And then, you know, the tractor trailer access on the other side of the buildings. And, you know, it was clearly, and they, and they did this whole presentation in September, 2022 about um, air cargo uses and why this was a perfect spot for air cargo and, you know, et cetera. Uh, mm -hmm. So of course the community went ballistic because we don't want to live next to an air cargo jet port, right? That's like, you know, so there was like signs all over the community, no, no air cargo, blah, et cetera. And the incumbent uh, uh, Riverhead Town Board um, attempted to kind of distance itself from that pr proposal as, as fast and as far as they possibly could. And that intensified as the local election <laughs> day, uh, a, uh, you know, got closer. Um, and they were really hoping 
Um, but of course, they maintained they knew nothing about when the idea, when the idea was going to make a decision or what the decision was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, they were hoping it would be before the election because they thought it was going to be negative. But right. they, don't, they didn't officially know anything about anything. Um, did, did the town board then follow up on that? Well, and then the following day, um, they called an, you know, they quickly called a special meeting of the town board. And they then um, passed a resolution declaring the contract null and void pursuant to a March of 2022 agreement with the with the developer that if this happened, if the IBA denied the application, um, they would be able to um, cancel the contract, essentially, and return hmm. the down. Payment. So, so is this mark the end to the um, air, air cargo? Well, Jack, Jack, um, Jack cargo plant. Most Riverhead residents hope so, but you know who knows. Um, yeah, the triple um, five spokesperson on um, Tuesday night, no Wednesday, sorry, um, got, sent me a statement that said, you know, well, it's too bad that the town has decided to leave the future of this site. Uh, have it be decided in, in a courthouse or something like, that. like threatening Ooh. to sue, basically. Which that's no surprise. I mean, you know, I mean, they've invested they've invested money in, in the project. They've invested right? money, and they've you know, I mean, for, for, they they were getting sixteen hundred and forty four acres of land in an industrial park, vacant land in an industrial park with access to public water and a sewer district for um, under twenty five thousand dollars an acre. Oof. So. I think that, you know, just the lost opportunity for, uh, you know, get, flipping the land even, and even if they didn't develop it, just to sell it, you know, was clearly, I think, far below market value, especially, you know, after the last bubble. Um, but Denise, that, that's yeah. the thing to me that that is a little bit surprising, and it, and it, taught, and it sort of speaks to the stakes that we're talking about by taking the steps that they're taking to walk away from this project, Riverhead's going to tie itself up most likely in a legal battle that's going to go on for a while and be fairly expensive, right? I mean, they have to be fairly certain they don't want to move forward with this project in order to walk away from it because they can't just walk away clean. It's going to be a, a, a long battle, most likely. It's going to be a battle. And I asked um, the supervisor who, of course, is leaving the town uh, board and uh, the end of this year, and I asked the uh, council person Tim Hubbard, who wants to take her place. Um, so, are you going to defend the town? Like, at, you know, are you going <laughs> to? Is any settlement in it? Because you know they could settle it for those reasons, and mm-hmm. um, you know they um, they both said absolutely not. Um, you know, we're going to fight this if they if they sue, we will fight it diligently. Blah blah blah. So. I, I don't. I mean, we'll see. I mean, Riverhead has actually settled lawsuits that they had already won, because you know why not? Mm-hmm. Um, it saves <laughs> saves all the appeals and everything. Too. I, well, no, it was already after the. the, the oh really? Court <laughs> and they were about to do that again with a second one, um, until I heard about this pending settlement, like just in an offhand remark at a planning board meeting, and I was like, what? So, you know, I mean, they've got kind of a weird history here in Riverhead. So anything is possible. But, um, you know, I I would say this, that from my limited knowledge of this stuff, the IDA's finding statement seems pretty ironclad. I mean, wouldn't you say, Beth? Yeah, I know you've been following this. Yeah, I I mean, they really went point by point through every um deficiency in their application including the the i mean the first line basically said they don't have proof that they can build this and Mm -hmm. they were depending on this third party lender who like what they had to lend was securities that they didn't want to sell so it was just a whole and 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 that's kind of been the story with these folks like at least in riverhead like you know the town board voted to find them, uh, you know, qualified and eligible back in 2018 um, when they had not submitted, they refused to submit financial statements to the town. And and the town's qualified and eligible rules adopted by the town board under Phil Cardinelli 
said that they had to submit those. Yeah, I mean, they basically just paraded a bunch of prospective tenants in front of the town board to like shoot, show them pictures of lasers and cool. Uh, Yeah, and I mean, things. And and they and they had letters from like, oh, we would be interested in maybe financing this. And they so from what I understand, it seems like that they kind of did the same thing. I mean, I had asked their attorney, did you submit financial statements? Because that's a requirement on the on the IDA's application form. Like that's like the second requirement on that form. It's like certified financial statements. And I got a very, um, shall I say, is it okay? Like evasive kind of answer. Like he didn't quite, you know, he said, we submitted enough information for them to make a determination that, you know, they can do this. So what does that say? I mean, he didn't say, yes, I submitted (laughs) the, you know, uh, that was Peter Curry, their, their attorney before the IDA. So the, the, the IDA resolution, I thought, you know, the, the transaction council that they hired, who I'm sure was responsible for drafting that, really was very detailed, like every T crossed, every I dotted. It just seems pretty ironclad. And I think for that reason, really very well supports the town's decision to, you know, um, declare the contract null and void. Because under that letter agreement, um, you know, they clearly have the right to do that now um if i were thinking about this as a lawyer i would say hmm well is that letter agreement which you modified the original contract is that letter agreement enforceable hmm. i mean you know then, look, look, look for ways to attack the you know enforceability of that is it is it illegal was it a legal contract um that's so I'm concerned about that a little as a, as a resident here. So Denise, two, miles away from the airport. There's two things about this that I wanted to talk about, which is the first is I, I kind of want to emphasize this is a regional issue, right? This isn't just a Riverhead issue. This is a project that would have had enormous impact on the entire region, including uh, the North Fork, the Western part of Southampton town pretty directly, but, but it this is a this was a big proposal, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, especially looking at the the full de- development. I mean, they talked yeah. about they talked about act getting the second runway activated and building logistics centers along those, um, bringing in cargo or send shipping out cargo by rail because the the town had um, done like a, a renovation and refurbishment of a, a rail spur into the enterprise park, which they these folks plan to extend. Um, you know, I mean, it, it it you could you could easily see there would be like hundreds of or more um, you know tractor trailers coming. In. You know, look, mm-hmm. I mean, the reality is that I've said this on the show here before that like you know. The, this region, the downstate region of New York, really could use another cargo airport. I mean, mm-hmm. it needed mm-hmm. one, you know, back in the 1990s when, you know, there was some there were some plans afoot for that. I mean, a whole report was done and everything. And and that, you know, since then, think about what's happened with cargo in the in the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you know, Amazon itself is like developing airports to put their Amazon Air <laughs> to use their, for their Amazon Air fleet for cargo planes. So, you know, it's how this business is done now. And, you know, JFK is crowded and expensive. And, you know, the other alternative is Newark. Um, and, and neither of which is on, you know, it gets gets uh, gets materials out to the to the rest of the of Long Island. So, I mean, but, or, you know, they do it by truck. So there's, you know, there's more, you know, there's that. And, and like, you know, strategically, this isn't, I think, a really perfect spot for that. <laughs> I mean, you know, if I were not a, a, a nearby resident, I mean, I could, from a business standpoint, I could see how it makes sense. And for that reason, I don't know this for a fact, but I think, I mean, the FAA was on board with the idea of a cargo airport 20 odd years ago. And I see no reason why they wouldn't be today, if anything. So, so that brings me to my second point, which is, yeah. so where are we? So if we just set aside for the moment legal challenges that obviously are going to be part of the conversation going forward, but let's just set that aside for a moment. So Riverhead's back to square one. What do they have here that they that so so tell us again 
what this is that is now sort of ripe for new proposals, I guess, right? That's that I guess the idea would be the town is going to go back out and, and ask for new proposals. But what's the canvas we're working with here again? So um, overall, the town owns 2100, still owns 2,103 acres at the former Grumman um, facility in Calverton. Um, and they are they are looking to hang on to approximately 500 acres of that. They've got um, a, a public park there that's about 90 acres. They've got a community center. They've got um, a, a sewer plant. They want to hang on to property that's going to be like a sewer plant discharge recharge uh, field. Um, and um, and now they want to hang on to the runways. I think they learned that lesson <laughs> the hard way. Um, but you know, so they're 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 looking to sell. I guess at this point, I mean, the, the rest of what they've got is sixteen hundred and forty-four acres, about a thousand acres, nine hundred some odd acres, according to the DEC, are very environmentally sensitive grassland habitat for threatened and endangered species. Um, uh, that you know, birds and uh, that fly, you know, migra migratory birds. Um, there's other se environmental sensitivities. There's tiger salamander population on the site. So there's like these environmentally sensitive areas that the DEC says shouldn't be developed. And um, when all is said and done, the town has about 600, I think it was 660 acres originally, something like that to, to actually be able to do something with um what that something will be um remains to be seen i mean uh, over the you know couple of decades that i've been following this as a reporter there have been more crazy ideas there uh for how to use that land there than you can shake a stick at um and so i i don't know i mean the town in 2010 or 2011 went down the path of looking to do a 50 lot subdivision there and uh they did a whole uh updated environmental impact statement they did zoning they did this you know the subdivision plan i don't i mean i'm not i gotta look back but i don't believe that was finalized but they abruptly abandoned that when daniel preston came to town and said he was going to re, re you know um reignite the aerospace industry in Calverton. Um, and he that he was the founder and owner of a company called Luminati Aerospace. Um, he held himself out to be an aerospace engineer, but he was not. Um, and he just, you know, I think it's safe to say he pretty much scammed the town. Um, the town got into this letter of intent with him to sell the whole piece, the whole 1,644 acres to him. Um, he was going to build um, unmanned aircraft that were going to uh, fly in the upper atmosphere or the stratosphere or something like that. And, and he was, they were going to attain perpetual flight, he said, by between uh, batteries, wind, and solar panels. And um, he was going to bring internet high-speed internet to the regions of the world that's still <laughs> no not really this is what he said <laughs> so they still don't big, have internet big and canvas big ideas, right? sounds yeah. great well maybe yeah. maybe elon musk will be interested and come in and he could do kind <laughs> i of was just about to say that was <laughs> once you know so like i you know what i'm you know what i'm envisioning i'm envisioning a a huge battery energy uh storage <laughs> system um, that could just meet the needs of the entire East End, and and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and stop, I wonder the, uh, concerns and complaining. Battery storage, yeah. I yeah. wonder if we might finally hear from Amazon proper. Yeah, that they they come in and say, yeah, we could use a distribution site, and you know that was sort of always lurking in the background as maybe that's that's sort of what's happening. But I wonder now if we've cleared the table. And allow new proposals that that maybe you'll start to maybe you might hear a proposal from Amazon. You never know. Well, I think anything's possible, and they and honestly, the the, the both the Republicans and Democrats in this election um, 
are kind of saying similar things. Like we have to look at this and maybe the thing to do is lease the land. Maybe that, you know, they're like, yeah, we're kind of back to square one. I think I I feel like that's a fair assessment. Um, so, so, I mean, you, you bring up the Republicans and Democrats, Denise, and, and I, you know, in, in one of your stories, the, the democratic challenger for, for town supervisor had questioned the, the timing of, of this decision um, right before the election, do you think the, that politics came came into play here, or was that just a no uh, coincidence? <laughs> no, not at Riverhead. <laughs> politics? No, I mean, it's well, yeah, textbook I, October surprise here. Yeah, right. I mean, I, you know, the Democrats campaign. I mean, <laughs> they've been they've really focused on this issue, uh, for under, understandably. Um, but now they've sort of had the rug pulled out from under them, I think. And um, honestly, I, I don't I mean, was that like impossible to foresee? <laughs> I don't know. But now it's like, well, OK, now what for you guys? Like, I, I there's no clear answer to that either. But um, I think, sir, look, you know, the Riverhead Republican com- Committee um was really all in with this deal from the very beginning mm. and were really like um you know not um they really advocated for this and uh, you know it it probably wasn't the political uh, campaign contributions <laughs> that they got from uh the triple five or anything and uh, you know but <laughs> they but they were all in. That wouldn't influence deal. their decision and at all. They advocated for it publicly. The former chairman of the committee was, you know, he was all in on it. And um, the whole executive board, I mean, I, I feel like they were in the audience seated strategically right in front of Tim Hubbard on the night of the qualified and eligible vote to make sure he voted to find them qualified and eligible, which he did. Um, and so, you know, then they were off to the races, but now the tables have turned. I mean, like once this. Well, and the, and the plan, I mean, the the community just really was was outraged by the plan, yeah. right? Once I mean, this and, plan came out, like, in and public, so perhaps they were concerned that that would impact their um, their chances. Um, totally. I mean, totally. In, in I think I, you know. I think it totally would have impacted, and still might. I don't know, but. Because is there like a level of trust there that's needed? I I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but what's you know. what's remarkable to me is we we talked for all the time about how this was a project that we were going to be talking about for years to come. Now you're back to square one. You hmm. you, you we really you know it's going to be years again. But you know we lost. There's there's no progress whatsoever on getting anywhere on what's going to happen with that site. Denise, you better find a way to take a vacation while you can. <laughs> this this whole thing is going to long outlive me, probably any of us. I don't know what's good. Well, but- I I just want to say, you know, re- listening to that finding statement, every po- bullet point in it, I'm thinking. I remember when Denise reported about that. I remember when Alec reported about that. Riverhead Local has been on every single step of the way on this, and um, and it, the community would not be as outraged or as well informed as they were without your hard work. And Amen. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. Really, Amen. really exemplary journalism. We definitely and, dug into this for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and it had an impact. And I think yeah. that it, people people had their say. And I think that's it was an informed say. And I think uh, that's that's the way it's supposed to work. So, well, I mean, I think, you know, our role in as we all do, this is what we do, informing the community and you know, unlike a lot of other things, the community, because of what this was, really paid attention, you know, and really became engaged. And I mean, I was able to see that just in like our analytics and how many people were reading those stories and how long they stayed on the page and stuff like that. You know, people were really engaged in this and that and they spoke out. I mean, they filled that town board room, you know, for town board meetings, for planning board meetings, for IDA meetings. All of a sudden, there were all these people there. Um, sometimes they were holding signs, you know, and I think, you know, that and then all these other signs popped up on people's lawns. You know, I mean, we still have the warehouse thing. That's another thing that's still out there. But, you know, it's I think that forced, you know, in an election year, 
and you know, in the autumn of an election year, mm. that forces you know politicians to sit up and take notice. And the community really responded. They really organized and spoke out. And I think that's what turned the tide here. Um, and I think that the IDA got itself a really good transaction council to do this work and did a diligent job. So I mean, kudos to the IDA for you know for taking this to where they took it. Um, so I don't know. But, next, yeah. next phase of the conversation will begin soon and you'll be right there. We shall keeping track, keeping tabs. Hope on so. It, absolutely. <laughs> so all um, here, you know? <laughs> yeah, we're all here. We'll, we'll, and we'll be here to parse it after you report it. Uh, th- this is behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists are Denise Civiletti of the River of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Christine Sampson of the East Hampton Star. Um, Chrissy, there's going to be a big change coming up, I believe, in the next couple of days in Suffolk County. Correct me if I'm wrong. There was a sort of a study done, and I think this is the implementation of some of the recommendations about what to do with the transportation system, the public transportation system in Suffolk County, but. East Hampton, I think, is sort of exempted from this, right? Maybe you can explain what's going to happen here. Yeah, sure. So there was, you're correct. There was a big study. Um, some The county, you know, really took a soup to nuts look at its, you know, public transit system. And, you know, they included access to the Long Island Railroad stations as part of the considerations. And um, the thing about East Hampton is, you know, we're obviously one of the more remote areas on the island in Suffolk County. And they were going to replace, there's two things, there's fixed bus routes and on-demand shuttles. And so they were going to replace the last two East Hampton, like the Eastern, like serving East Hampton to Montauk um, routes, the 10B and 10C, the fixed fixed routes with um, an on-demand shuttle system, similar, actually exactly like the one that operates from Stag Harbor to Noyak to Southampton Village. Which, which has um, become really popular and is really popular. Really well as, as a it child. is. Yeah. Really. And they have they, um, you know, according to Bridget Fleming, our outgoing county legislator who had a big hand in this um, process, uh, she was on the Ways and Means Committee and a transportation subcommittee throughout that process until the flip of the legislature last year, um, Suffolk County legislature. So they got, got a little political when the um, shift happened, when there was a Democratic majority in the town, in the county legislature to the Republican majority currently. But, um, you know, Bridget was explaining to me this week that, um, you know, the the on-demand one in the Western part of the South Fork, you know, the, well, not Western, Western, but, you know, I'm trying to say, um, has been a real uh, success. Harbor with, area. We can just call Stag it. Harbor that. area. Yeah, sure. West of um, East Hampton. <laughs> West of East Hampton, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is not the center of the world. Um, the, um, so those, Shuttles in the Sag Harbor area, there's like three or four of them on the road at once serving people who use a mobile app to order them. And, you know, it only costs a few bucks. It's like $2 and something, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had a a friend over the summer using it almost, you know, three or four times a week to get around. And she didn't have a car and she loved it. It was great. And the drivers were really friendly and um, it was efficient. And so they're going to duplicate that in, you know, East Hampton to Montauk, but those buses that they were going to put on those, you know, um, no longer fixed routes, now on-demand routes, there was a manufacturer recall. So that was originally going to go into effect this Sunday. So um, the 29th, October 29th, and they put that on hold pending the sorting out of the recall issue. So they didn't physically have the buses in place. And I asked Bridget Fleming, you know, did that did that impact the Sag Harbor area on demand service? And she said, no, because those buses were a different, you know, they were they were already in hand. They don't need replacement yet. So the East Hampton shuttles have been postponed. Um, there's no definite start date yet. But otherwise, the, there was, you know, a, a significant set of changes to the county bus system. 
Um, for example, Chrissy, let me ask you yeah. real quick. I, I apologize for interrupting, but so does that mean the fixed bus system is going to stay in place in East? Yeah, for now? yeah. Okay, that stays in place for now. Sorry, I wasn't clear about that. Oh, okay, I just wanted to make um, that clear. Yeah. So for now, there will be the 10, 10B and 10C that you can access. And um, the, otherwise, you know, they the county has instituted like some changes where they're not going to be called like the S buses anymore, like no S72. It's now just going to be called Route. So Route 72, you know, route, the route numbers will correspond to the previous like S number that the buses had been identified with. So that shouldn't be too much of a, you know, change to adapt to, but the there will be there's like new stops in, in being instituted. They've phased out some other stops. And what they've instituted is timed transfer points where um, you know, like the Long Island Railroad has done this where like you can the the route stops at a certain place at a certain time. And there might be like a pause while they wait for a connecting bus or train. Mm. So they've aligned um, through this time transfer system, they've aligned a number of the routes. I think there's seven transfer points now. One of them is the Riverhead train station. Um, and, you know, that was that's a key stop because the only it's the farthest east of the time transfer points. Um, and this is all there's a new map. Um, it's on the the bus system website, Suffolk County Transit. I think it's sctransit.org. Um and, you know, it's the Riverhead train station is a new stop on the not new, but now that the route S92 is called Route 92, that has time transfer points at Riverhead. Um, and, you know, the only another key change is that a lot of the buses are going to come more frequently, but Route 92 will not be one of those routes. So mm. that will still come about once an hour with slight schedule changes in the summertime. Um but they they that's still a 60 minute line but another like most of the other routes will be more frequent more frequent with also service on holidays and later hours on weekdays and weekends um and yeah that's kind of the the it's, basic it's rundown an, it's, of an, it. it's encouraging to see them try to make some changes and and improvements i think they they and those sound all really good I think they're going to need to do a lot more if they if they want yeah. consistent consistent ridership. I mean, people still complain about you know the consistency of, uh, and, and frequency of of the bus routes and 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 all that. And unfortunately, I think it's you know Perfect. it's 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 the, the ridership is is mostly people who are who are struggling without cars and and other means of of transportation and. Um, I think we've said for a long time that that the county really needs to get on board and you know and improve and improve the system. So it, it's encouraging that that they're at least looking at it. I, I think. The, this, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say the study, like to just piggyback on what you were just saying. Yeah. The study that they did was not just okay locations, but also who are we serving and where do they live and where are they going to. So, for instance, the county says the new system, quote, puts more than 40 percent of residents and more than 50 percent of job sites within a half mile of a high frequency route. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, they they looked at the demographics of, you know, who's taking them buses and where they're going. And it's really valuable for a lot of folks in the community who who really rely on that bus service. But I'm really intrigued by the in-demand, the move to the in-demand bus service on, on the South Fork in particular, that that is really reconsidering the whole idea of how the county's public transportation system is run. And I, I feel like it does sort of acknowledge the way we've changed. I mean, people have come to rely more on ride services like Lyft and, and Uber, and, and this sort of does move in that direction. And it does make sense. I mean, it, it makes it so much more convenient for the riders. I'm the guessing thing, the, riders have, the riders have to meet the on-demand buses in certain places though too, right? Yeah, but you can, they'll, they'll tell you what the nearest ability, like the nearest place is. You know what I mean? Um, the only like there's a challenge and I see the access because you have to have a smartphone in order to use that app. And 
not everybody in the world can afford a smartphone. Mm -hmm. So I guess my one criticism just from a contextual point of view is, you know, who who is getting excluded here from the on-demand service? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, some older adults who may not know how to use a smartphone, let alone own one? You know, and you're it, relying on cell service in Noya. You're relying on cell yeah, service, right. and <laughs> and particularly in Springs yeah. too, where yeah. like the S one of the um, fixed routes currently runs up into Springs, and now right. if you need to order a bus on your cell phone in Springs, how's that going to work? Yeah. That's I, a good point a, too, Beth. That's a really interesting point. At the risk of sounding clueless, um, are there really that many people who don't have? cell phones at this point i mean i guess there is there certainly are um some people who can't and 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 you know can't afford the service i I think about my 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 father who has has a smartphone but doesn't really use use very well (laughs) you know and trying to get him to use a new and different app you know would would just be um um my mind mind bending and um <laughs> would require a lot of assistance well i think yes. it's I, I think it's great that the county is this is one of those times when they they did a study and they're actually following through with with what they found i mean i think that's that's laudable and you know a lot of times as you know east enders we criticize the county for not giving back a share of the resources that we're contributing like we sort of feel that forgotten, you know, sense. Am I right? Absolutely. Um, And so this is the county responding and actually including us EastEnders. And thinking thinking through the impacts, yeah. And and I think a lot of credit to that should go to to, um, uh, uh, Bridget, who, you know, who was not seeking re-election, but I I think um, in her time on the on the legislature, Bridget Fleming. I think she's um, she's done a lot of good work and certainly focused on um, you know buses and, and transportation. And she actually, in our interview this week, she actually credited Al Krupski with some of it too. So mm. it wasn't just you know he he was chairing the transportation subcommittee that she was on while she was chairing the Ways and Means Committee, which he was on. So like uh-huh. they worked really well together on that. She said. You know, we're all always complaining about um, traffic snarls and traffic jams and traffic. Um, And, you know, we are also very concerned about emissions and, you know, climate change. Um, And having a public transit system out here that actually works um, for people would go a long way to changing those things here. And, um, I, you know, what I, I see this as a move to um, convert a transit system that has basically been one, the bus system, certainly like one of last resort for people that have no yeah. choice exactly. and converting it to something that they have to make it a, a transit system of choice that people will take but because they choose to because it's convenient and it works. And I haven't, you know, I haven't looked at this at all. So thank you for your summary of it. And I want to, you know, report on it as well, uh, Chris. Mm-hmm. But like, Absolutely. you know, it's it's something that needs to be done if this is going to actually work and we're going to address those very serious problems. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to reading about this and, and uh, Digging into it a little bit. To, to your point too, Denise, we had an express sessions event this week that was about traffic. And we had Steve Ballone, the county executive there. He was in Southampton in August announcing that the county was looking for innovative solutions to the traffic problem. You know, there are some floating around, but there's no question public transportation is part of that equation. And mm-hmm. and um the commuter connection that involves the Long Island Railroad and the shuttle service. This is something that Assemblyman Fred Thiel has been pushing very hard, and he's kept it alive through some real challenges. And, and by all accounts, it's really having an impact. And a lot of the schools are using it. A lot of teachers mm-hmm. are using it. Um, it's hospital part of the solution. Hospital employees. It's part of the solution. The solution is going to be multifaceted. If there is, you know, anything that's going to have a real significant effect, but public transportation is a big part of that, no question. 
something we'll have to look at moving forward. Uh, it's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. Our panelists are Christine Sampson of the East Hampton Star, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local. Beth, tell us what's going on in Greenport. Uh, they finished up something ahead of schedule. Yeah, uh, so Greenport, uh Back in April, it adopted a six-month building moratorium downtown um, while they worked on some code updates that had been kind of in the works for a very long time, but uh, had never gotten over the finish line. And uh, it was scheduled to expire in just a couple days now, and uh, they lifted it early after they adopted the code changes, which I haven't seen before, I don't think. Mm. Um, I don't know if you all have. Um, the moratorium <laughs> actually ending on time? No, I don't think I've ever seen it. Really? <laughs> um, so, so this is there were a very limited series of changes that they that they were looking at before they lifted the moratorium. There's other things they're working on in terms of incentivizing affordable housing. Um, and so the, the code they, changes were the with the waterfront changes. Yeah, right? the code changes were basically what uses are allowed in the downtown districts, and and they have a couple different districts down there. Um, one of the big examples that they give is there's a the south side of Front Street, which is one of the main drags in Greenport. Um, it's mostly retail shops now, but what's allowed there under zoning is like bait, bait stores and fish processing. Um, and you have to actually go to the, had to go to the ZBA to get um, a uh, conditional use uh, permit to have a retail store in this location, which was kind of silly because it's a less intensive use and a lot of downtown is retail anyway. And the people on the other side of the street didn't need a variance. So uh, were they, were they worried that was going to put all the bait processing plants out of, out of work or? <laughs> there aren't any. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, there no, I there is that. a yeah, there is a place behind there that's actually uh, Little Creek Oysters. That's like a that used to be a bait shack. Um, uh, that's uh, now a, kind of like a, a, a oyster bar and restaurant right on the dock. And, and the owner of that was very concerned about these changes because uh, he was saying, uh, "We want. I don't know if I'll be able to rebuild when these changes are made." when my building gets washed away, which I assume it eventually will. Um, so they they built in some safeguards for existing structures um, in terms of like any kind of disaster that, that they're able to rebuild. Uh, the Village Business Improvement District, a lot of people um, were very concerned about some of the changes to the parking uh, fund requirements that they were going to include in this. Uh, because anyone who wanted to build a new big restaurant or expand a restaurant or a hotel would have to pay into the parking fund, but they would make it so that small business owners didn't have to pay into it, which was a part that didn't really get publicized as much. So a lot of the restaurant owners were saying, hey, you're taking away some of the value of our property if we have to pay into this parking fund. So that really seemed to be a sticking point. This might have been resolved sooner if, if they hadn't had that kind of pushback about the parking. And the way they ended up leaving it was you can request a parking study to see what kind of impact your business will have on the parking. Um, so that kind of seemed to alleviate a lot of the some of the concerns of the business community. I think there's still probably some grumbling and that, there might still be some of, tweaks in the future. That's kind of unique, too, that you can... Yeah that you can request a parking study um, to see the impact that's different. Yeah, so that's still... a question for yeah. you. Yeah. Um, was housing a consideration in that set of zoning? Um, you know, the set of, set of zoning changes, like are there apart? I'm not really familiar with Greenport, unfortunately. Is there like housing above stores and such? There, There is. And this, the next thing that they're tackling is going to be changes to housing. They're doing that uh, without the moratorium in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're, the the village is under is going through a comprehensive review of its local waterfront revitalization plan, which kind of works as like a um, comprehensive plan for a village on the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've got that. They've got a lot of things that they still want to implement. Um, housing will be one of them. One of the things they're talking about is um, an incentive allowing third stories if you make them affordable because they mm. have a sewer plant there they can do third store they, they, they can't do them as of right now but they want to make it so they can incentivize that 
Um, I don't know they, what the community impact is going to be on that. There hasn't been a public hearing on it yet. That's um, really interesting, though. Up, Greenport, but, Greenport has the septics to, yeah. to have the options like that, which is one of the real limiting things on the South Fork. Yeah. I mean, it's very similar to Sag Harbor in that regard, um, mm -hmm. that you really can make it a little city uh, as long as you do it intelligently. And I think that's sort of what this big process is right now, is to make sure that it's done uh, uh, with some kind of consideration for the unintended impacts, which, you know, there will always be unintended impacts. But um, it seems, you know, a lot of the people who've been on the board for a while who've been kicking these ideas around are really glad to see the, the community participating and engaged. And that's going to continue, I think, in the upcoming months and years. So, and it's you know, getting done. Things, yeah. One of the things that you're the the parking, the request, the ability to request a parking study and, you know, to how it involves the parking fund in Greenport. Um, doesn't Sag Harbor have a parking fund too? Like, I'm pretty sure that they have a, a similar system where, you know, you have to pay into this fund and that's been a sticking point. Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you're required a certain number of spaces. And, and if you don't, if you can't provide spaces, then you pay into the the parking fund. And a couple other villages have that too. Yeah. <laughs> and, I find um, that maybe and, like that. West Hampton Beach does, but does something similar. And it's it's interesting because that came up as a sticking point in the village. I mean, the village in West Hampton Beach, they did the this great Main Street revitalization and they brought in um, you know, the sewer project and 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 all that, um, and encouraged businesses to expand. But a lot of the businesses, um, um, a well, a couple of, of businesses, um, you know, that I was familiar with couldn't expand because they couldn't afford um, to pay the the $20,000 or $30,000 in a parking fee that they would have to pay because they, you know, it's Main Street businesses and they don't provide their own parking. So the uh, West Hampton Beach Village Board is doing its own uh, general parking study to see if they need to change some of that that code around so it sounds like greenport's kind of on top of that though too where west yeah. hampton beach wasn't well it's kind I of mean, a model a big question is what what do you use that money for i mean nobody wants to see well not maybe there are some people who want to see parking garages yeah. in downtown you know but our problems are such seasonal problems um mm -hmm. It almost seems like it'd be better addressed with a shuttle, but then you get into, you know, people not wanting to take anything like public transportation out of here, uh, which is just a mindset that has to change. I think it's time. It's, for a, that. it's a great point. You pay into a fund, but what's that fund going to be used for and how will it address the parking situation, which is what it should be about? No question. Just as a, as, a, as a side note to that, West Hampton Beach, I didn't bring it in, but they accepted a a proposal from um, a, a car parking service that is um, uh, renting renting an empty parking lot at um, um, at at, uh, at Seafield Center to park cars, and then they have uh, people on on Main Street, um, uh, you know, grabbing people. People pull up, they they hop in the car and go park the car for them in the in the uh, um, in in the lot and then and then bring it back uh, when they're done at at the restaurants and stuff. Almost and like a rolling a, valet service. Okay. Exactly, and and it's a valet service. It, it started in in Patchog, um, yeah. and they saw that the issues that West Hampton Beach was having and um, and and came out. And the, the village wasn't really involved with it, other than kind of giving them a week uh, a wink, you know, green light for it because there was no, you know, they didn't need any uh, code approvals or or whatever but i mean that's maybe one smart solution for uh for other villages too interesting stuff beth i, I wanted to give you a chance to something there was a development this week with the north fork arts center right well we're uh waiting for the north fork arts center closing um to uh to take uh title to the uh greenport theater which is a historic movie theater that's been around for uh I think more than 80 years. Uh, the owner of the theater put it on the market in January, but then threw down a uh, challenge to the community that if they raised a million dollars for its operating expenses, he'd give them the building. And they've raised the money. Uh, they're waiting on a closing and they're wow. hoping to um, 
they're hoping to show uh, classic movies in the theater this uh, Christmas break, uh, the 20th, I believe the 26th through the 28th of December. Uh, they're working on programming suggestions for next year. They just uh, released a survey, an online survey, to try and get the public's feedback on what they'd like to see there. Uh, one of the things, they have a partnership with the Brooklyn Ballet, which is going to be coming in in the spring to do workshops there for three weeks. I love that. Uh, uh, they're going to show first-run movies in the summertime from, I believe, Memorial Day to Labor Day. And uh, they're also, there's one screening room on the first floor that uh, they want to turn into a community clubhouse for kids who are into the arts so that they can do like after-school programs there, uh, work on developing films, work, work on um, acting classes, all sorts of things like that. Um, they can also use it as... Uh, gallery space. Uh, they're hoping to have music in the biggest theater upstairs. And uh, the building is going to need a lot of work and they still are fundraising. Um, if you donate before the end of the year, you can be a founding donor. Um, but uh, it looks like it's actually happening. And, you know, the people, uh, when they heard about this, they, they really raised the money just over the course of this spring. I mean, they've had they've had most of the pledges in hand since, uh, I believe, around May. So it's really uh, a testament to the community's desire to have uh, access to the arts out here. And it's happening. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, every successful, you know, downtown area in the South work has a performing arts center. And, and I think that that's really key to to drawing people in and bringing in visitors and um, making for for a vibrant um, a vibrant downtown community. I think that's absolutely true. They, they they've been valuable to the communities that they're in, no question. So it makes yeah. sense. Riverhead too. Yeah, Riverhead, Sag Harbor, West Hampton Beach. Uh, you, you can just check off the list. The downtowns that are doing well, uh, um, certainly East Hampton. Uh, and I think it's one of the reasons Southampton is so concerned about. Uh, they have the arts center and they also have uh, the cultural center, but uh, not having the movie theater downtown has, has been a big uh, loss so far. So we've been trying to figure out what's going on there and that's why it's important. It's a big deal. No question. Guys, we're out of time. We left a lot on the table. There's so many other issues. I, I would have loved to have a chance to talk about this week. So we'll just have to push them to next week and have those conversations then. Uh, uh, I want Early voting our starts today. Aha, uh -huh, yes. On Saturday, the 29th, I believe, right? 28th. 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 Thank you for correcting me. Um, you can go to the Suffolk County Board of Elections website for um, information on where to vote. There's a lot of different places uh, this year that you can vote. I think the 28th is also a, you can register and cast a vote for the first time. Uh, that day, if you're registering, you can actually cast an affidavit vote. It's the first time they're they're experimenting with that at the county level. So thank you to Christine Sampson from the East Hampton Star, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local for being with us this morning. And thank you also to my co-host, Bill Sutton. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw. Thanks for joining us. And we'll be back next week again with Behind the Headlines. Thanks, guys.